everyone. Welcome back. My name is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire. I'm a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. Welcome to our show, Terps in the City. Terps in the City is a show that really features everything cannabis. As you know, a rich terpenoid profile is great for the palate, and that's what we bring as far as topics for this show. This season in Terps in the City, we're going to explore my journey into the market of New York. I am returning to New York as a native New Yorker to take part in the emerging cannabis industry there. On today's show, my guest is Philip Wolf. Philip Wolf is a dear, dear friend and colleague, and he has some great things that he's working on in cannabis. He is like a, I would say, a global nomad and is in pursuit of all good things related to the plant. And not even just the cannabis plant, but he's a, can- a plant medicine guru. So, Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. Such an honor to be here today and during this transition of you going to New York. Thank you. So excited. Speaking of New York, because again, this season's all about New York. And even though you don't reside there, we recently got an opportunity to connect in New York. You were kind enough to reach out right before you headed out and said, hey, would you happen to be here? And I was like, I'm going to be there. And then we actually got together and had a great fellowship and you invited me to participate in the uh, Regenerative Cannabis Live event, the mixers and things like that. So thank you for making space for me and using your entry to create a space for others. So I'm Mm. eternally grateful for the connections that were made there and the fact that you got your foot in the door and you you held it open for me. So thank you. Let's talk about your relationship with New York. First off, you're so welcome and and such an honor to be able to use my platforms to be able to keep doors open and open doors at the same time, because that's a lot of people have walked in front of me and done the same thing. And so may we all be of service to the world in in that sort of, with that sort of hospitality. Awesome. And how, how, how often do you get out to New York? Oh man. So I've been getting out to New York, I guess over the past, I would say like five or six years, about it seems like it's kind of evened out to about twice a year I've been getting out there. Okay. But in June, I'm going to be out there for the second time in two or three months. So I have a feeling as legalization is sweeps across the state, I'll be out there a lot more frequently. I'm counting on it. You have to visit me when I'm out there. So Yeah, well, it's finally starting to give me a, a charm. Whenever I first got there, I was like, ooh, I don't know. It's a little hot for me. Yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to make it our own. And I'm so glad that you're going to be coming back in June uh, and I'm moving in June. So let's talk about the Regenerative Cannabis Live. It was a legendary event. It was a huge milestone for the cannabis industry. Can you fill us in on one, why New York, why the United Nations and what does that event actually mean for the cannabis industry's acceptance globally? Yeah. So the reason that it was so historic and legendary as you framed it is because it was at the United Nations headquarters in New York City. And so I imagine United Nations has offices in you know multiple places around the world, but with New York being sort of the crown jewel of the world, there is no bigger stage in regards to addressing global politics than the United Nations in New York, possibly. And so the fact that cannabis had a platform and the stage at the Delicates Dining Room in the headquarters was just not only proof of acceptance, but curiosity 
from the world stage and world regulators on how actually cannabis can benefit their pillars of environmental social governance. And so the fact that they are seeing the plant and the benefits that it can do in multiple layers of society and want to be educated on that and wants to create space for that articulation to come through at their at their headquarters. I want to say what an honor, but at the same time, I'm also like, why did it take so long? It's about right? time. It's about yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, because we've seen this for so long. And that's why the people who have lasted in the cannabis industry for as long as for, let's say, just a, a good duration of time, they're, they're advocates at heart. And that's why they keep fighting through the low points because they see the change that it can make. And we know that cannabis can be a part of change across the world. And so the fact that we finally got that stage was really, really important. And going into it, I felt the how monumental it was. But I was walking to the United Nations from the hotel with Bo Whitney from Whitney Economics. And I was just, we're kind of tuning in about our feelings and stuff because I think people are really tuned in to um, the vibe of, of what was happening that day. And Bo spe- says to me, oh, I thought this was the, the climax of this all. And, I, and I, yeah. I was like, wow, we're going to the United Nations with cannabis. And um, he's like, it's actually the first step. And that just really framed it for me um, in a different light than I had. And to know that I've been doing my particular work for 13 years in the legal cannabis space, and for this to be the first step, it was, it shows how far we still have to go. It shows you how long things not only take in politics, but you can reflect that into nature. Nature takes time to blossom in the world and there's no timelines for nature. And this plant represents nature in so many different ways, right? So for us to think that it's just going to happen quickly is not going to be an appropriate lens. The appropriate lens is for like, how is this going to be received from our future generations? And that's what we're honestly working for. We're growing trees that we're not going to be able to sit underneath that shade. And that's just, that's just what it is. And, and sure, we'll have pockets of that shade. Absolutely. But the byproduct of our work and the impact that it's going to have across the globe and for future generations to come. I mean, think of 200 years from now, how people are going to be utilizing this plant, right? Like, who knows when it's just so ingrained in, into culture at that point in time. And so this is what we need to be doing. This is exactly what we need to be um, doing. And activism shows itself in so many different forms. So one, we want to shout out to Jeff Trotter and uh, like Kelly Saringer from Re- Regenibus for mm-hmm. creating that space and doing yeah, that. Patrick. Patrick, also to for getting that first step to happen. So we want to shout them out and and give them thanks for creating that forum and inviting our people in. So our, there were activists there. It was very representative of the industry. There were people from New York, native New Yorkers there. There were there were also people who flew in from all over the country. There was a huge um, partnership between the hemp industry and the marijuana industry, which we don't always get to see. But there, the focus was really on the plant itself. And for the first time, it wasn't about dividing the plants and isolating parts of the plants. It was a coming together of this is a plant. We all have an interest 
and it being liberated and made free. And we're going to come together and work as one community to have that happen. So I was really happy to see that. And for those of you who weren't able to be there, there is a Vimeo video of it. And I'll make sure that it's posted in the show notes so that we can all take in that event. I think it was mentioned that the majority of the speakers were females speakers. The focus was on ESG and and diversity, equity, and inclusion. The speakers were very diverse from all parts of the world, Panama and India and, and, and all over. So that was really good to see as well. So we really saw in front of the United Nations on the world stage, the true diversity of our, of our mm-hmm. cannabis industry. Four federal governments had representation there. That's huge. I know Malta, Malta was there and they're like kind of like the gateway to Europe. Panama was there. Uruguay was there. So really important. So everybody should take in that video out and I'll make sure that we share. So you mentioned that you've had 13 in, in the cannabis history prior to this monumental event. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your history in, in, in cannabis and, and why your work is so, so important. And I hope you mention, if not, I will mention some important designations that you've gotten along the way. No, that's sweet of you. That's sweet of you. Yeah, 13 years ago when I was, man, 23 years old, Colorado was changing the regulations to allow for a thriving medical market. And so how you can open dispensaries and how you can get medical cards essentially is what that entailed. And I just found myself in the right conversation at the right time to be able to, I, I got approached and said, and they said, Hey, this is what's happening next month. I'm looking for someone to open a dispensary with. And at the time there was just a handful of dispensaries in the state of Colorado under the previous model. And I had uh 7,500 bucks and my friend threw down 7,500 bucks and we opened a dispensary for $15,000. And so it's, we can yeah, do that now. Well, I know, but if we're talking about really wanting to, if we're really talking about social equity, then we should be able to open a dispensary for $15,000. So yeah. we can get into that of what's more progressive is, is what New York's trying to roll out more progressive or is what Oklahoma has in place more progressive. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting to see what barriers of entries could be removed to actually allow for something to be as equitable as possible. So, but we won't dive into there at this point in time, but I was able to, I was privileged. I was white with no drug charges and I was able to be able to, to move forward. And I, I speak to my ethnicities because I probably would have had drug charges when I was younger if I wasn't. Not to say I wasn't close just within living in kind of a lower middle class um, household in a, in a little mountain town that didn't have much diversity into it. And so cops would typically focus more on the lower income brackets and people, kids of the higher income brackets were able to get away with whatever, whatever they wanted. I, I can't say that, but you know what I'm getting. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's disparity. Exactly. There's disparity where we're working to remedy it as a community and for someone who acknowledges their privilege, such as yourself, to use all of your platforms to evangelize about the need for equity. Um, mm-hmm. That means a lot to me. So yeah. I'm glad about that. Absolutely. And it's something I've grown and learned, but I didn't, I, I was ignorant in so many different ways when I was, when I, so, so, so grateful to just be continuing to listen and to continue to head out on, onto my path and to use my platforms again, to keep those doors open, right. As best as possible. 
and to open doors for, for all life, not even humans, all life on earth, you know, is how I look at it. And, and what's, what's important as we are stewards of mother earth, we are cells on this particles on this planet and need to do her good. And so I opened a dispensary in 2013, was in a bad partnership. I sold, or I just got my money back and I started cultivating and I became a really good cultivator just because I had so many friends in the black market already doing it. And so they really taught me their ways. And then I brought a business mindset to it, which a lot of the cultivators didn't have back then. And so that maturity allowed me to become very skilled at my craft alongside of bridging it over into how the businesses were operating and growing at the time. And so through that, I came to kind of a stuck point in 2013. I was really good at my craft. I was in my mid to late 20s at the time. And I had a beautiful girlfriend. I was living in the mountains of Colorado, snowboarding, making a good chunk of money for for that age and wasn't happy. And I, I just couldn't understand why, yes. because I love working with the plant. Like I, I love my work. I love cultivation and I was really good at it at the same time. And I had a lot of respect locally in Colorado. And we sold one of the warehouses that I was operating for a dispensary and, and got a you know $10,000 check. And what speaks to the barrier to entry was low back then, but also the exit was low for that. It could have been six figures at this point. Yeah. But, um, and I went and traveled. I went, I went and I didn't accept any new work. I went and I went on a trip and I wrote a, I started my first journal at the time saying lost in the world while trying to find myself. And um, I just went on that. Radical. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know. What, lost in the world. Trying to find yourself. Lost in the world while trying to find yourself. And I hit a moment on those two months of just backpacking through Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, even a little bit in China and and New Zealand. And um, I was able to, uh, I I hit a moment where I was brought back to these, these thoughts I had as a child. And while I didn't know who myself was, I had found something (laughs) and seeing what has evolved over that over the years since that, I mean, that was 10 years ago, that was in 2012. And I really feel like I've discovered who I am since then. But that, that, that finding of that discovery of these inner child aspects was really, really important for me. And then my curiosity started, the childlike curiosities really started for me. And I went back to cultivating for about another year, year and a half and gearing up for legalization. So later on that fall, Colorado at the end of 2012 voted to legalize cannabis on on the state level and dispensaries were going to open up 15 months later. And in spring of 2013, I literally within 48 hours, I, we, one of my consulting gigs ended or we talked about my exit plan. I was doing my job, but at the same time, it's always like disruptive. I broke right. up with my girlfriend and I got bashed in the eye playing basketball. I had this gnarly cut underneath my eye and all happened in 48 hours. And next thing I find myself at the bar, which, you know, I wouldn't, I, now I'd find myself at the meditation cushion, but now I, back then I found myself at the bar and I called um, a couple of buddies of mine, like, wow, I just lost my girlfriend. She just broke up with me. Like the sobs. that, that evening, this guy rolls in from New York city and he just, he just pulled into Colorado and he was going to, 
he was going to become the first cannabis billionaire is what he told me. And he was going to open up all these companies and he didn't know anything about cannabis, but he understood Wall Street. He understood big business and entrepreneurship. And so the next day I started working with him and we started just a holding company of all these different business ideas in the insulary sector, which I didn't have any sort of thought towards the insulary side of the industry that was rolling down. And next thing we're developing and building out 30 companies and I'm working in a startup, which I had never done before. My mind was just like, wow, this is what's going to happen with the industry. And I was blown away. And the question back then was, how do we tap into mainstream America? How do we tap into the soccer mom? And at the end of 2013, right before recreational dispensaries opened, I was in Barcelona and I went to a wine tasting at a vineyard. and. I was sitting there and I was like, it doesn't matter who you are in the world, whether you drink wine or not, you want to be sitting at this dinner right now. And I'm going to go create this in cannabis. And that's when the seed was planted for cultivating spirits. And that's when a whole... And Cultivating Spirits is your brand. Cultivating Spirits is one of the brands that I founded. So there's... Three brands yeah. that I've, three companies that I've created outside of my consulting, which is Cultivating Spirits, which is cannabis pairing dinners, the first in the United States to do so, to operate legally for the general public. The Cannabis Wedding Expo, I have passed along, which is now owned by Vanessa Oliver, where I'm, I'm still a stakeholder in it. And, and then Kishom, which I imagine we'll get to later on, which I think is going to just completely change how people relate to cannabis and that is a masterclass program in which people can educate themselves who are beginners and connoisseurs of the plant beautiful well well thank you again usually when we're talking to people about cannabis their history doesn't go as far back yeah. as your history goes 2014 you think that 2014 2015 is where it, it starts but you went way back and and be what we know as a legal industry today and uh, also definitely keep the other new york reference that you just met a random stranger in a bar out in new york and that became your 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 next occupation just building startups and things mm-hmm. like that tremendous amount of experience it's great to know all of that about you mm-hmm. now you know, I consider you to be a global citizen. We've talked about Barcelona and you were Australia and all these places that you've been. So let's let's talk about your your international travels and your experience of the plant in in, in different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Haiti's very close to my heart because I started a nonprofit in Haiti. We started a, a medical clinic in the Sudis region, and I've spent a lot of time down there. And so I visited about 22 countries in my life thus far. And but Haiti holds a real real importance to me because we I went down there just kind of on a whim. Someone after doing these health and leadership camps in the Dominican Republic, there's this fascination with with Haiti, but it wasn't like you could just roll into Haiti. We needed to set up right. proper guides for us to, to navigate. And and going over there, it was like, wow, these people need help. And, and there was a lot of cash being made in the early days of the medical side. So this is 2012 as well. And so coming out of there, we were visiting hospitals and cholera outbreak was going on there. So I'm seeing these tents and people are just dying in the most horrific ways of cholera outside of these hospitals. And, and you could just tell these people didn't have um, access to very simple medical 
procedures, especially in this region that we got introduced to. And so I came back and I was like, let's start our own 501c3. I was like, I could raise $50,000 to get this clinic. Like I got friends making cash right now. Using it for good. Using That's what the plan is all about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Using it for good. 100%. And so within that, and I won't go too far down the story, but what I didn't realize at that age, I'm 20, how old is I? 27 or 28 at the time. I didn't realize the important it was to invest into community and to invest into organization of the community to build something in partnership opposed to just handing something out to people and really thinking, oh, this is what you need. We're the smart Americans. Yeah. So I know what you need. This is what you need incorporated into your society. But like it just doesn't work like that. And I think we can be very ignorant as Americans to think everything we do is the right way. And so I really had to. F, yeah. Ethnocentricity where we're all, we're focused on the way we do things and like the ugly American stereotype. Ethnocentricity. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm going to adopt that word. Thank you. And so this so ethnocentric welcome. way in which I, what my mind was how it was developed. No shame in that. It's just what it was. And I just had to learn. And luckily I was able to listen and learn and, So what I thought was going to be six months ended up being two years, but that two years was so important because now we have a birthing center that's up up and operational next to our clinic. We We have a residency program and housing for Haitian doctors to come in. No Americans are ever paid. We have a mountain mobile clinic that can travel around. And this is all in partnership and vibrant like staple of the community and people travel to it and it's like accepted and and a part of it and an important part of it. And so that's really beautiful to see how that operates and, and how that was growing. And so it did more for me to understand this process and also to see people who had what I what appeared to be nothing in my mind to them to be so happy in in their own ways and and just in a love. The, the attitude of gratitude. Yeah, exactly. And so that brought so, so much richness in my heart that's allowed me to commit to what I'm doing today. But I'll have, a, I, since we're focused on New York, I came back my first time ever in New York City. I was flying back from, I was in Port-au-Prince or Santo Domingo, but I was coming back from Haiti and I had to fly through JFK and I was like, oh, I could do a 10 hour layover in New York City. I'll go to Times Square or something like let's let's see let's see what this city's about. And I'm, I was born in Texas, raised in Colorado, so there's a big difference there. And so I had found East Coasters to have a bit of ooh attitude, let's say. And so I'm like, so I, so that's why I had no desire to ever go there. And I get on the bus from the airport to go to Times Square and I'm like, I'm just tore up. I'm dirty. I have my big backpack backpacking on like I've just. I've been out in Haiti for 10 days and, and I get on the bus and I'm like total tourist. Oh, where do I get off? Like this is before Google maps and stuff. So I was just, or at least I had it. And, um, and so then the bus driver starts asking me questions like, where the, where the hell did you just come from, man? Like, <laughs> what's your story? So I'm like, like, I'm sure you have one. So tell me. Man, we're thinking about building this clinic in Haiti and I was down by the well speaking with locals and like just, 30 seconds into, and we just pulled off the airport grounds, right? So I just, are just getting in the city and uh, my first time ever in New York. And I thought these people were just aggro. And the next thing yeah. I know, and I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, but no, you can. I, you, this, so, so I hear from the back of the bus, 30 seconds into like sharing this passion of Haiti 
of mine, the first time in the city. Fuck you. Nobody cares. <laughs> That's New York. And then the bus driver like, the bus driver's like, yeah, man, you should actually be quiet. No one does care about your story of Haiti. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, New, New York is a, we're special. Yeah, yeah, definitely can be welcoming, but short, short, yeah, short few yeah. sometimes. But, but what I have, I've been very. You were, you were prepared for it. You were ready. I was for ready it. for it. I may have manifested it with my thoughts for 27 years prior. And I will say, I've seen New York's charm since then many of times, and and that that I hold yeah. that close to my heart. But a dear friend of mine, Madison Margolin, who some of you may know um, from Double Blind and her re- journalistic um, brilliant, is that. But she told me that yeah, they're going to be people are going to be short with you. They're going to tell you the truth of what's in their heart and on their mind, but. When you need something, like they show up in groves and armies and they're there and it's really powerful. And and so that is. is, uh, We we saw that. We saw that for 911 for sure. Just came, everyone came together as a uh, community after 9 11. So yeah, it's a a special, special place. I want to talk about, I know we touched upon your experience in the the vineyard and bars, but you know, Ganja Samaye, Cannabis Samaye. I I need you to tell that story and, and how you got that designation and recognition because now we have Ganjir courses and all that thing, but you were one of the, I call you an OG, an original geneticist, but you were like the original uh, Samaye. Yeah, so which, which started in New York City, um, <laughs> where I fully adopted it. So when I started cultivating spirit, all my work is done through smoking. It's guiding people to understand what type of high they're going to have before they even consume by connecting to the organoleptic properties of cannabis. And this is all done through smoking, guiding tastings and stuff, right? So it's not infusions. And I just considered myself a host or a guide, right? Like that's what I kind of had taught. That's what I, that's, that's how I described myself. Although I realized that I was paralleling, you know, sommeliers, but that, that, that word is very rooted in wine and we'll get to kind of maybe the destructive aspect of how people frame this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that I adopted that name. I was in New York city for Arcview in 2016, um, actually on the 15 year anniversary of nine 11. And it was really beautiful. Arcu did a boat tour around the Statue of Liberty and people really got to drop in with their feelings of, of that day. And I did a pitch on stage. And right after I did a pitch for Cultivating Spirits, so for those who don't know, Arcview is basically bridging the gap between investment and startups. And they did these big pit conferences. And similar to M- MJ Unpacked in which you just got back from, I know. And, and so... I pitched and right when I got off stage, I got approached by a Bloomberg journalist and she, you know, interviewed me right there on the spot. Next morning, she comes out and it says the rise of the pot sommelier. That was the Yay. article of it. And it obviously featured myself as the pot sommelier. And obviously we weren't using the word pot just for, just to really make things as kosher as possible as, as, represent, as representing this plant. Although I have no qualms with the word pot at all, but I know mainstream yeah. might seem a little icky to them. And so I started going as the cannabis sommelier. And from, from that point on, I really owned that name, that, that title. And, um, and started and continued to do my work. And, and now as we develop Kashom, which came from Cannabis Sommelier to Kassam 
to Kishon because it's important that we separate and not use the term cannabis sommelier. Because what that does is uh, sommelier is so rooted in wine culture. It is a steward and server of wine, essentially. And what the problem of our referencing to that and the fact that the Gangier program calls themselves the cannabis sommelier program actually really bothers me because what it does is put us, it puts us beneath wine. If you're reflecting yourself to somewhat something, then you're obviously going to be a notch below it. And you're not going to be able to do this on your own. You're not creating your own space. And so I get them more signups. Long-term, I think it does more damage because we need to start again now. Like we're not going to see a lot of the shade that we're of the trees that we're planting and but we need to start doing it now and so if people come relying on that I word long term then it's it's a problem because the work that we that people have the opportunity to do with cannabis as guides and shepherding that experience for people can do so much more good than wine can do this is just a plant that is opening our body, minds, and spirits that alcohol libation can do. And, and so that's just, that's just a fact. And I'm sorry, wine lovers, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's a fact. And I love a, I love a good yeah. glass of wine. I love a red, Same. chewy, slightly Same. sweet, high, wet wine. Like, I love it. Yeah. But, but mm -hmm. what we're doing with cannabis is so much more important. I love it. Oh, thank you. So you touched upon Kasham. And I, I am blessed and fortunate and privileged to be one of the advisors. Yeah, thank you. And it's, a, it's such a great crew. It's such a great group to pull together for this brand. So I'm really honored to be a part of it. So let's talk about Kasham, which I think is the answer to the question of what's next for you, Philip Wolf. I think Kasham is a big part of that. So tell us about Kasham, your your objective with and the impact you your your planning, I'm not going to say hoping that you're planning to make with Kasham and, and, and how we can help Kasham. Yeah, grow. yeah, absolutely. So is a byproduct of the deep change I felt we could make through cannabis hospitality. So I, I saw that through serving, I've served over 3,500 people cannabis in very intimate settings. And so we teach people how to identify their high before they can consume to enhance their experience. And sometimes that's not consuming at all. So that takes checking in with your body understanding kind of a, a pillar of compounds in which it's going to make you feel the way that you could feel, but we all have our own relationship to that kind of central point of that makeup of that particular strain. And, um, and all those 3,500 people, they're like, oh, I can use cannabis like this. And you can just see this light turned on in their mind. Well, to me, that's just like a little pin drop in their skull of understanding and all of a sudden, wow, we can use it like this. And then I think over time with that awareness, the intelligence of the plant can affect them in, in major ways. And so that was a mission of mine was through cannabis hospitality to open up minds. And it was also kind of protecting of the industry in the sense of um, – Big MSOs don't have the opportunity to even smoke a joint with their patrons. Like there's CEOs out there that have never smoked a joint with the general with the random consumer. And and, right. and so for them to understand how this plant's gonna affect, they don't. They understand how to move units. <laughs> 
product. Right. And, right. They, they understand how to commercialize cannabis, but maybe there's a distance between that and the, the culture and the reverence associated exactly. with it. Exactly. And the possibilities of a big change. And so I was like, great, I'm this undercover agent because here I am with this opportunity that these guys, like they can't step into my realm. Like they can't, they just can't do it. And right. um, so it, it, it was a really prime opportunity to feel like I could still make major impact with the work that I was doing. And cultivating spirits wasn't, it, we can scale it, but we couldn't scale it to impact the world, right? And, uh, and or, or at least to try to impact the world. And so it changed the education. And I was like, great, I'm going to teach the industry to do the work that I do. And that's, that's how it started off. Was, was in that sort of, was in that way, was to create a certification course in the industry to do the work that I do. And this started a little over three years ago when I, it was kind of being dreamt up. But once I really started transferring notes from, you know, my old documents into a Kashom document yeah. was on 420 of 2019. And, um, and that's when the journey started for me. How do I create an online training course? And I, I didn't know how to do that. Like I, I don't come from education development. And so I started the journey and a lot of people helped me along that journey. Dr. Mary McNabb was a really big pillar for me just to see how she operated and like that there was hope, not that she was definitely. And shout out to Dr. Marion McNabb. Great, great work, clinical trial work. Yeah, she does phenomenal work. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, there's, there's such a journey. I could spend a whole episode talking and beyond talking about the journey that's led me to where I'm at now. But to get to your point, we have pivoted from certifications in the industry to actually going directly after the consumer. And our goal is to change people's relationship to cannabis, to have more awareness around their consumption. If they have more awareness around their consumption, we believe that they will become in better touch with themselves over time, therefore in better touch with, uh, with the world around them. And we've been developing content that will be distributed on video and audible formats across our web platform, this custom learning management system. And you can receive that whatever fits your learning style. Some people just want to listen to yeah. a podcast while they work out. Some people want to watch videos engage with learning activities and engage with community. So you'll have all of those types of options to do so. And this is for beginners and connoisseurs of cannabis. We have content that fits everybody. And we also approach it the way as a guide and not saying, this is how it is, this is how it is, this is how it is, because it, it fits. It, it, there's so many different ways you can approach the use of this plant to fit your body, mind, and spirit. So that's what we try to do. And then encourage your own intuition mm -hmm. to follow what you are enjoying. What makes, what brings you joy, brings you happiness, follow that, take in that content. Where are your curiosities at? Take in that content because what this content is going to do is empower the consumer to be able yeah. to use this plant to best serve their life. That's what we're doing with it. And that's the purpose of it. And so we hope that content will be released by the end of the summer, um, early fall. And um, we're going after our raise, but we have teams of people put together. We have um, a lot of content already put up. We have about 16 subject matter experts for the first volume that are somewhere in our pipeline and more that are coming on. Like it's, it's gearing up to be very, very, very special. And uh, wow, what a journey. <laughs>
Yeah, I'm glad to be on this journey. And I, I love how you have a variety of delivery systems for the content. Mm-hmm. Just like with the plant, there's a variety of delivery systems for cannabis as medicine, cannabis as a, a meditative. So I, I really applaud that. When I know it's been a long journey to get here, you mentioned 2019 or three years in. So thank you for all the work and thank you for the team that you put together. I'm really excited about Kashama and it is a for-profit company. There is opportunity for people to engage and get involved and join the team. So we're going to make sure in the show notes, people know how to get in touch with with you just in case they want to contribute and and be an invested partner with Kashama. Yeah, well. it's going to be a worthwhile investment. I tell you that it's like, who wants to go to the moon with us? And now's the time. Now is the time. Well, I'm excited that I have my space shoes ready and my space suit ready. So I'm on the journey with yeah. you. And this is just to hear the history of your engagement with the plant and, and engagement with the industry and, and the fact that you are this global citizen. So you have the expertise from all, all these geographic areas. I usually, and, and in the show, I always ask our guests a couple questions. So one is, how can I help you? How can the show help you to promote your goals and, the, and what you'd like to achieve in the cannabis industry? Absolutely. Well, I think we just, I think we just uh, answered that one. Whoever wants to come with the moon with us and invest in Kishom, please yeah. get a hold of me. Or Cheryl, she'll put you in hold. She'll put you in hold of Absolutely. us. So that's, that's what's most present right now. And then the other question that I always ask our guests is, if there was anyone on the planet who's living that we could put you in touch with, introduce you to, that would take your initiatives to the next level, like supercharge, accelerate the, the impact of, of what you're doing in cannabis, who would you want us to introduce you to, just in case? <laughs> just in case you're watching. What just came up to me was Sir Richard Branson. <laughs> Nice. I can see that. I can definitely see that. I think he would be completely aligned with your brand. Tell us more. Tell us more about why that choice. Well, that's just what came into my heart. And as you know me, like what comes into my heart is what is going to be spoken to. And that's what I'm going to trust most. Obviously, he has the resource to drive this on a global scale as much as anyone else does. And I do know he consumes cannabis. I believe he said some positive things around cannabis, but I actually know there's a brilliant cannabis wine that is, uh, we'll just say folk medicine made up in up in Sonoma County. And uh, yeah, right there's there. a slight degree of separation there. And I see him as a global citizen that does want the world to become a better place. And so I feel like he would align with not only the economic positive aspects of what Kashom can bring, but also the purpose-driven mission of, of Kashom and, and honestly how cannabis can affect all plant medicines. And I don't know what his stance is on other master plant medicines, but cannabis can be such a guardian for the other master plants, which I think is very important as well. And another subject we could spend an entire show on. Oh, and we will. And we will. We will. It's in the city. We're going to expand. We're going to talk all plant medicine. We didn't even talk about your trip to Costa Rica, which was kind of very important to us building this strong relationship that we have now. But we'll talk about that in the next episode. So I just want to thank you. This time flew by. Thank you so much for joining me on uh, Terps in the City to our audience. Uh, We will post all uh, ways of getting in touch with Philip Wolf the original, the OG friend and good friend to me. We'll post his information in the show notes. Please 
get involved, learn more about Fashom and some of these other initiatives. I hope you're enjoying enjoying season two, which is all about New York. There were a lot of New York touch points in this interview, and I look forward to the rest of the season with you. So make sure that you're tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to Terps in the City. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.